Well, I don't know if you had your Bibles open when Taylor was singing or not. My guess is, first of all, that you couldn't sing along with him because Psalm 35 is different than many of the other psalms. And so the, the English uh, expression of it is different and probably less singable as well. But that doesn't stop us from reflecting on it and using it and pointing ourselves to the God who comes to our rescue, even in a psalm that's difficult. Well, Psalm 35 is what is called an imprecatory psalm. And the reason that I tell you what an imprecatory psalm is is because, first of all, that's going to explain why it's a different kind of a psalm. Imprecatory means to say out loud a curse. And this is a, this is a psalm that is a prayer against David's enemies. And there are other psalms like this, but it's a prayer against David's enemies. Now, even as I say that, and some of you are thinking, oh, blah, 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 right? Go ahead and look at it. Go ahead and look at it. It starts off with, you know, take care of those who are fighting against me, fight against them. And it's against people. And you, there are several who think that this is a sub-Christian way to pray. That this sort of a sentiment is not worthy of God. That it's not worthy of Christians. That somehow, the God of the Old Testament where this prayer was prayed got uh, an upgrade in the New Testament, and somehow He's a different, more improved, better God in the New Testament. Okay, I don't think that's the case. In fact, I'm certain that's not the case. In fact, I think it's foolish to think that. And so, how can you have a psalm like this that's praying against David's enemies and have in the Old Testament and have Jesus in the New Testament say, turn the other cheek? It's not that easy, really. So I had to ask my question, okay, what would you be missing if you didn't have Psalm 35? If we weren't going to look at Psalm 35 and you were never going to open it to that page and we were never going to read it, what would you be missing? Well, I think that there's, I think there's a lot that you would be missing. You would be missing... Not only the humanity of Jesus that I'll talk about in a little while ago, in a little while, but you will, you would miss your own humanity. You would have to somehow pretend that you don't have feelings in order to be Christian. Let me explain. You look at this and he's praying against his enemies. And the, the, the way that you connect to this psalm, let me just say how you connect to it, and that will, that will hopefully tie things together. You don't connect to this psalm by, as, as a way, you don't connect to this psalm as a way to manage your enemies. Let me say it that way. Okay, you're not going to connect to this psalm as a way to manage your enemies. Though that's tempting. 
Probably every one of you has had somebody in your life that you would like to pray a prayer like this against, right? But you don't manage your enemies this way because your enemies are not like David's enemies. Okay, For instance, one of the things about his enemies is there's several. It's always plural. There's always, uh, there's always a category of his enemies rather than a certain person. In other words, this doesn't work very well if you've just got one enemy. Just one problem. Right? The other thing, your enemies are not like his enemies because he's a king and you're not. He's a king who is God's covenant representative in uh, and among God's people. He has a unique position before God that you and I don't exactly share. And so, for me to call down a curse on my personal enemy doesn't really work. Because God, David calling down a curse on his enemies is different because his, his enemies are God's enemies. He doesn't merely have an irritating boss. He doesn't just have somebody cutting him off on the freeway. He doesn't just have a boundary dispute with a neighbor. He has enemies that are opposing him and thereby opposing God. So his enemies are different than your enemies. So I'm going to suggest you don't connect to it on the level of managing your enemies. I'd say rather, you man, you you intersect Psalm 35 on the level of managing yourself. That you, that you see Psalm 35 as a way to have a conversation with God about the way that you feel about people. Particularly people that you don't like. Or particularly people that give you trouble. Now, even as you think about that, you think, that still doesn't sound very good, right? Well, I want to just suggest to you that Psalm 35 and other psalms like it are going to be a a tool in your toolbox when you get around to saying, I want to do what Jesus tells me to do. Okay, I'm just going to give you the benefit of the doubt and assume that you want to follow Jesus. Okay, You're here this morning because one of the things you want to do with your life is you want to follow Jesus. Now, when when the New Testament says, be angry and do not sin, what do you do with that? Do you sort of click? Turn it off? Oh, everything's happy now. Do you go from angry... To happy in an instant? Not if you're like me. Or if you take the words of Jesus who said, love your enemies. Now you're gonna, and pray for those who despitefully use you. You're gonna think that, well, that is opposite of this psalm. But I wanna, I wanna suggest to you that this psalm and psalms like it, are the means by which you are able to love your enemies. And without without the ability and the opportunity to address God and talk to God about people who are your enemies, people who are difficult for you, 
you're not going to be able to flip that switch and be angry without sin or flip the switch and somehow love your enemies when you'd much rather do something else to your enemies. So I think it's interesting. I mean, somebody made fun of me earlier this week about preaching an imprecatory psalm on Father's Day, right? Why would somebody do that? What father, though, hasn't had a problem with anger? Okay, it doesn't, obviously, it's not just a Father's Day message because <laughs> what human being hasn't had a problem with anger? And it's that problem that this psalm addresses on a personal level. Though there's more to it than just that. And so if you have the intent to follow Jesus and do what Jesus says, then I want to suggest to you that the way that you get there, particularly when it comes to loving your enemies and being angry without sin, is a prayer like this one. Now this psalm is introduced with the title title or with the attribution of David. It's the byline. David wrote this. Now I just want you to see what this is. I mean, contend with, contend, O Lord, with those who fight against me. All right. Well, that, yeah, that doesn't sound very good. But I want to. Nobody knows where in David's life this psalm came from. It might have come from him running from Saul in his early days. It might have come from him fleeing Jerusalem and running from Absalom in his later days. It might have come from. Uh, Shimei or other people cursing David. We don't know who the enemies are. We don't know what the setting in his life is. I want to suggest to you that it doesn't matter. Because David had this tool in his toolbox. David prayed like this against his enemies and he turned the other cheek anyway. He prayed like this against his enemies and he treated them with dignity and respect and love nonetheless. Think about it. Okay? It was Saul who hunted him down. Who time after time after time attempted to kill him. And what did he do when given the same chance? He saved him and said, King, here's a corner of your robe. King, I could have killed you, but I didn't. David treating his enemies like on my best day I would hope to treat my enemies. And yet, he prays like this. Now, how can those two things be? I think he can treat his enemy like that because he prays for him. I mentioned Shimei who, who, who was throwing stones at David as David left Jerusalem and cursing David. And David's... Uh, Second in command was going to go lop his head off. In fact, he offered. Would you like me to go kill this dead dog? David said, no, let him be. Let him be. If God wants him to curse me, he'll curse me. And David let him go. And David's never more tender to an enemy than he is to his his own son Absalom who, who attempts to overthrow his kingdom. And depose him as king and sends him out. And uh, uh, he runs through the wilderness from his own son. And he gives his 
commanders, the instructions, whatever you do, don't hurt Absalom. And I tell you, on my best day, I wouldn't treat my enemies like that. But David does. And I think that he does because he has a prayer like this. So I want you, uh, I want you to be able to delight in God. And I want you to, to have your heart be happy in God. But I know that there are circumstances, there are people that keep that from happening. And so this is one of those things that, uh, that we must embrace if we're going to have our hearts happy in God through Jesus. So Psalm 35 has a simple structure that I just am going to point out to you as we read through it. There are three cycles here. And these three cycles, uh, I'm going to suggest that they're cycles of faith. They don't sound like faith when he's talking like this, right? But they all end up with expressions of faith. And how much like you and like me is that? I mean, I don't start out most of my life full of faith. It's a process and it's work for me to get there. And that's what's happening here with David. And so let's take a look at the first cycle here of David. Contend, O Lord, with those who contend with me. Fight against those who fight against me. Take hold of shield and buckler and rise for my help. Draw the spear and the javelin against my pursuers. Say to my soul, I am your salvation. Let them be put to shame and dishonor who seek after my life. Let them be turned back and disappointed who devise evil against me. Let them be like chaff before the wind with the angel of the Lord driving them away. Let their way be dark and slippery with the angel of the Lord pursuing them. For without cause they hid their net for me. Without cause they dug a pit for my life. Let destruction come upon him when he does not know it. And let the net that he hid ensnare him. Let him fall into it to his own destruction. Then my soul will rejoice in the Lord, exulting in His salvation. All my bones will say, O Lord, who is like You delivering the poor from Him who is too strong for Him? The poor and the needy from Him who robs Him. This first cycle is essentially a prayer for God to take care of David's enemies. Take care of the problem. And so he, he uses imagery of war, contend and fight against. Bring out your shield and your buckler, your big shield and your little shield, and rise to my help. Take your spear and your javelin against my pursuers. In other words, take up arms. God, and this is the key, right? God, you fight for me. I am willing to not fight for myself. See, that, just that alone is not a sub-Christian idea, is it? That's exactly the kind of thing that Jesus uh, encouraged us to do. Then He says, I love this part, Say to my soul, I am your salvation. 
See, this is just this very self-aware type of a prayer. God, this is what I need from You. Would You say to my soul, I will save you. I am Your salvation. God, would You tell me that? God, because I'm, I'm on the run here. I'm trusting that You will take care of my enemy rather than me trying to take care of myself. So, God, would You just remind me in fact, I, in thinking about this, I just have been praying that this weekend. God, I, I, this is what I really need. God, would You just remind me of that? And so he's asking God to speak to his own soul and say, I am your salvation. Let them be put to shame who dishonor me. Let them be turned back who disappoint me. We'll see this in the, in the last cycle as well that he has um, this reversal in mind from shame and dishonor to honor. The people who are trying to, to do evil to me, God, would you do evil to them? And he's saying, take care of the enemies. Those who would put me out, would you put them out? God, those who would bring me down, would you bring them down? Let them be turned back and disappointed. this beautiful imagery that was mentioned in the song earlier, uh, like chaff which the wind drives away, Lord, let the angel of the Lord just blow on them. Let it be gone. Let their way be dark and slippery with the angel of the Lord pursuing. I just just love that. I just see this. I mean, for me, this is a movie scene right there. Run through the woods. And it's, you know, there's on, they're on the rocks and it's just there's rain and there's lightning flashing around. And the angel of the Lord is pursuing them and they're slipping and they're scrambling and trying to get away. That's exactly what He wants for His enemies. Let the angel of the Lord pursue them. And then here is, here is some of the reason. Right? This is, this is, for most of us, this is some of the reason that we can't just take this straight across and pray for our enemies because without cause they hid their net for me. Without cause they dug a pit for my life. For most of us, when we have enemy, it's, there's probably at least some fraction of a cause that we have uh, you know, encouraged this little you know, problem, right? But not David. Without cause, they've uh, spread the net and dug the pit. And then, then he says, let that net that they have hid ensnare them. Now, this is, this is a lovely irony, isn't it? They spread this net for David. And he's, he's just, he's praying that somehow, you know, he'll run around the net, they'll run through the net, and they'll get caught up in it the same. That the pit that they dug, that he'll somehow be able to jump it and they'll fall into it. And this is a, this is a device that I think helps you enjoy your reading of the Bible. I'm just going to suggest to you that you look for this kind of thing. Because this is, this is a sort of a Hebrew idiom. It's a, it's a figure of speech or a way of talking that is distinctively um, Jewish here, where they're hoping for an ironic resolution here that will demonstrate to them that God, in fact, has brought justice. That's what this prayer is for, that they're going to trust God and that there will be true justice served. And I'm going to know that if the very net that they spread for me catches them, the very pit they dug for me, they fall into. 
And so there's this turn of events that, that he's praying for as a way of, of saying, God, let me notice that you are bringing justice. Take care of my enemies. And so this is his first thing. He's trusting God to take care of his enemies. And then notice what happens. Just out of the blue. When it sounds like it's just nothing but praying against people, right? My soul will rejoice in the Lord, exulting in His salvation. Now, this isn't current. This isn't necessarily even present. He's on the run. He's praying that God will turn and put His enemies on the run. And someday, Lord, someday I will rejoice. I will exult in Your salvation. Things are not now like I want them to be or they should be. Things are wrong right now, but God, I trust that one day You will make them right. And so, my soul will delight. Notice how hard it is for Him to delight in God. This is not simply just days in the sun. This is not just you know, beach time for David. We don't just delight in God when we're in church or when things are going wonderfully. He's saying, I am fighting for this even as I pray against my enemies because ultimately what I know I want is a satisfied heart. And so that's how he winds up this first cycle. He says, all my bones, which is basically saying from the innermost part of me, I'm going to say, Lord, who is like you? I mean, how satisfying does that just feel even to to say that? My innermost part, my very bones are going to say, Lord, who is like you? Who delivers the poor from him who is too strong for him, the poor and needy from him who robs him. I'm just going to stop right here because all of us, I would think, all of us and even people who are not uh, churchgoers, all of us want this. All of us would love the poor to be delivered from those who are too strong and the needy from those who rob Him. Wouldn't we? Don't, don't you want that kind of justice? Everybody wants that. But you see, what, what happens is And I'm going to suggest you can't have it both ways. You can't say this sort of prayer is sub-Christian and I want a God who delivers the poor. This is somehow not worthy of God to pray this way. Yet I want Him to uh, save the needy. You pray this way because you want God to take care of the poor and the needy. You see, the very thing that we want when we want justice comes from a God who is just. And so we pray to Him as someone who will make this kind of thing right. Well, that's the first cycle. We trust that God will take care of the enemies. The second cycle here, well, let's read it and Then we'll talk about it. Malicious witnesses rise up. They ask me of things that I do not know. They repay me evil for good. 
my soul is bereft. But I, when they were sick, I wore sackcloth. I afflicted myself with fasting. I prayed with my head bowed on my chest. I went about as though I grieved for my friend or my brother as one who laments for his mother. I bowed down in mourning. But at my stumbling, they rejoiced and and gathered. They gathered together against me, wretches whom I did not know. They tore at me without ceasing. Like profane mockers at a feast, they gnash at me with their teeth. How long, O Lord, will You look on? Rescue me from their destruction, my precious life from the lions. I will thank You in in the great congregation, in the mighty throng, I will praise You. Here in this second cycle of faith, we see David essentially praying. And these, I mean, my categories aren't perfect, but we see him praying that God would um, take care of his own heart. This is a lament. This is him saying how sad he is, how he doesn't inside of him understand why it's going down like this. These malicious witnesses confuse him with their questions. They repay evil for good. They disturb his soul and leave it empty. When they were sick, so this is somewhere the lament comes, they were sick and he had compassion on them. Right? He mourned for them with fasting. As somebody uh, is grieved for a friend or laments for his, for his own mother, he was so sad for his enemy's sickness. He was grieving as though he was losing his own mom. I bowed down with mourning. I did what was right. My soul was broken for them and then they came after me. My stumbling, they rejoiced. He's trying to, he's trying to get his head around this. How is this working? God, in this world that, that is supposed to be right and good and, and I'm sad for them and they're attacking me, I don't get it. God, take care of my heart. How long, O oh Lord, will You look on? Rescue me from their destruction. My precious life from the lions. And so here He is, God... Take care of my soul. And then he comes to the climax of the second round of faith, right? And we know it's a round of faith because that's where he ends up. I will thank you in the great congregation. In the mighty throng, I will praise you. I will let people know that you have taken care of my heart. This pain that I felt, God, you have relieved. And so I'm going to publicly say thank you. I'm going to publicly praise you. And this is round two. And you'll notice how no matter how hard it is in the beginning, no matter how fierce the battle in the first round, no matter how great the heartbreak in the second round, he ends up with thanksgiving and praise and delight. And then we have the third round. He says, let not those rejoice over me who are wrongfully my foes. Let not those wink the eye who hate me without cause. For they do not speak peace, but against... Those who are quiet in the land, they devise words of deceit. They open their mouths against me. They say, aha, aha, our eyes have seen it. You've seen, O Lord, be not silent. 
Be not far from me. Awake and rouse yourself from my vindication for my cause, my God and my Lord. Vindicate me, O Lord, my God, according to Your righteousness and let them not rejoice over me. Let them not say in their hearts, Aha! Our hearts desire. Let them not say, We have swallowed Him up. Let them be put to shame and disappointed altogether who rejoice at My calamity. Let them be clothed with shame and dishonor who magnify themselves against Me. Let those who delight in My righteousness shout for joy and be glad and say evermore, Great is the Lord who delights in the welfare of His servant. Then My tongue shall tell of Your righteousness and of Your praise all the day long. Well, now you're beginning to recognize we're at the end, aren't you? Because you can see that he has gone through the cycle again and he ends up with praise. But this time, the cycle appears to be, God, take care of my reputation. Take care of the enemies. Take care of my heart. Now, take care of my reputation. They are wrongfully my foes. They hate me without cause. And what do they do when they hate me without cause? They don't speak peace. They start, they start talking out there. They devise words of deceit. They rejoice and point out what they've seen and start telling other people. <clears throat> they say, O oh Lord. Then, there, then he prays, O oh Lord, You too have seen this. Don't be silent. Please be near Me. Awake and rouse Yourself. And he's praying that God will do something on His behalf for His vindication. Which means, make it right Bring justice for my cause, and he has, I think he has in view, for my reputation, for, what's, for, for the way that people think about me. So he's trying to take care of the outside problem, just like he tried to take care of the inside problem, just as he prayed that God take care of his enemies. For my vindication, here it is again, vindicate me because of your character. And you see this then identification now of him with the righteousness of God. Let them not rejoice over Me. Don't let them publicly enjoy My downfall. And then here, He has again in mind the public aspect of this. Let them be put to shame and disappointed. be disappointed who would otherwise be rejoicing at My calamity. Let them be clothed with shame and dishonor who would magnify themselves against Me. And the very honor that they would try and gain for themselves by tearing Him down, He says, no, let that be reversed. And so His, his prayer here is for the reversal. But now, not just the, the private reversal or the private satisfaction, but now a public reversal. God, would You make this right? On the outside here. And then He says, then he gets to his conclusion, right? Just as he struggles through the, what's going on on the, on the outside in the newspapers, on the web and social media, all these things that are causing him trouble. And he says, let those who delight shout for joy and be glad. Great is the Lord who delights in the welfare of his servant. And there's all sorts of happiness here in the conclusion. Now notice the happiness is in the conclusion. It's not in the beginning. Because the process is the way to the gladness. Then my tongue will share, 
tell of your righteousness and your praise all the day long. And he wants to go on record as saying, I am going to be thankful when you save me. And so this third cycle of trust ends up where the other two have ended up with praise. And so I'm, I'm just going to suggest to you, as we've gone around this several times now, that your trust in the Lord in the time of conflict is the only way that justice will be truly served and that peace will ultimately come. When you trust in the Lord like David, that's the only hope you have for justice. And it's the only hope that you have for peace in your own soul. And that's the way that he constructs Psalm 35. Now, if all we had was just our own personal response, our own personal reading of Psalm 35, I hope that it would be a blessing to you. But we have even more than that. Because, and there are several clues here. The, one of the, one, the first one that I noticed is near the end, verse 27. He says, let those who delight in my righteousness shout for joy. So this is David now talking about those who delight in his righteousness. That there is something about David in David's righteousness that enables other people to rejoice. I mentioned at the beginning, you're not like David. You're not the king. So you can't just take this you know, for your enemies either. And so David says, let those who rejoice in my enemy, or in my righteousness, shout for joy. And so David has in view other people rejoicing because of him. Looking at him as the anointed one of Israel. Looking at him as the one who has, who God has promised a kingdom to. And there's a hint that there is a, that there is a more significant reading of Psalm 35 than just a personal struggle with enemies. Because there is a struggle with enemies on the part of the king here. On the part of David. And we have in the New Testament. And again, what I'm really trying to do here is link the Old Testament and and a God to whom we pray for vindication with God in the New Testament who has given us someone who is greater than David. Who is a second David. Who is the anointed Messiah, King of kings and Lord of lords. That greater than David. And you go back to let those who rejoice in His righteousness shout for joy. See, if you read this as though we are shouting for joy, rejoicing that the enemies of the greater David have been defeated, all of a sudden, Psalm 35 becomes a Christian psalm. It becomes a view of our own souls toward Jesus And I'm not just grasping at straws here, 
Because Jesus Himself saw it this way. In John 15.25, Jesus said, the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. Psalm 35.19 They hated Me without cause. They hated Me without cause. Jesus Himself saw Psalm 35 as the expression of His soul. So that those who rejoice in Jesus rejoice in what God is doing through Him. That the enemies here, Jesus sees as His own enemies. The resolution and the joy that comes from it is resolution and joy that comes because Jesus' enemies are defeated. Now really... If there ever was anybody for whom this psalm works, it would be for Jesus, who was hated without cause. Everybody who was Jesus' enemy was wrongfully His enemy. And so, Jesus Himself understands Psalm 35 as His own experience. And you went, I mentioned earlier when, when we were talking about this on a personal level, right? That if you're going to follow the words of Jesus and turn the other cheek or be angry and sin not or love your enemies, you'd have to suppress or deny your own humanity if you didn't have a tool like Psalm 35. But I want to suggest to you it's even more important than that, that you don't somehow pretend that Jesus was less than human because He was able to love His enemies, because He was able to go all the way being mistreated and abused and even put to death by His enemies. And how could He do that? One of the ways that He understood was that He had a tool like Psalm 35. That was His heart for His enemies as He loved them. That God would bring justice. That God would bring vindication. And certainly enough, God does. And so here in 1 Peter, we have this New Testament expression of Jesus' experience with this psalm. When He was reviled, He did not revile in return. When He suffered, He did not threaten. But He continued entrusting Himself to Him who judges justly. Okay, A different word for judges justly? Vindicate me, O Lord. Right? The language of Psalm 35. And let me suggest to you how this works. Because Jesus was able to suffer without cause. Because Jesus was able to endure the hatred of His enemies all the way to the cross. Jesus, or God did vindicate Him. God did bring justice. God did make the wrong of Jesus' death right with the resurrection. And then, He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds, you have been healed. You see, the beauty, the, the beauty of Psalm 35 is not merely what it does in your life as you bring to God your pain and your uh, problem people, 
The beauty of Psalm 35 is what it did in the life of Jesus, which enabled Him to suffer wrong and to be mistreated so that by His stripes you might be healed. So that by His death you might have life. By the vindication of Jesus, you might have resurrection life now as a believer in Jesus. And so, it is the greater David. It is this prayer that the greater David identified with that enables us to have the hope that yes, in fact, we too, in in spite of all of our imperfections, in spite of all of the frustration and pain that we experience now, that we will have a hope that one day, I shall declare Your praise that one day I too will tell everyone of Your greatness. That's the hope that we have. That God is going to make things right because of what Jesus has done representing us as the greater David. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are rejoicing at what Jesus has done on our behalf to solidify and to guarantee our delight. To make certain that we can come to You with the hope of ultimate happiness. Regardless of how disappointing and frustrating our experience with other people may be right now. And so God, we come to You broken, hurting, in conflict even with other people. But Father, we come full of faith, trusting that You will make wrongs right. And that You will vindicate us. And we have the certainty of that because You have vindicated Your Son, the greater David, whom we love and enjoy. And so we praise You for our hope this morning. In the name of Jesus, Amen.